Good morning. The first reading is from Jonah, uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through 16, and it's on page 774 in the Red Bible. Jonah is thrown into the sea. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the very word of the Lord. Our second reading today comes from Lamentations, third chapter. Uh, It's going to be verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip to verses 19 through 23. And uh, that is page 688 in the Red Pew Bible. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it, and it is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Thanks be to God. Wow, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This is one of my favorite verses I know for many of you. That is an anchor in your relationship with God. I guess when she was reading it, it struck me that that word was in Jonah's vocabulary. Jonah, the book of Jonah, his whole experience happened about 800 years before the time of Christ. That was scripture a thousand years before the time of Christ, right? So it was in his vocabulary. He must have been wondering, God, where is your steadfast love when this storm is raging around me? 
We've been studying together the book of Jonah, and we've kind of entitled our study of it, I Am Jonah, because we have found in Jonah a a glimpse of ourselves as well. Do you remember that the word of the Lord, three weeks ago we began by saying the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and and it sounds like such a throwaway phrase, but, but, but we stopped and just said, oh my goodness, God is speaking, and he's still speaking through his word, through his spirit. God is, God is revealing himself to us just like Jonah. We are Jonah, right? Then we saw that, that what God asked Jonah to do, and the only recorded command of God for Jonah was to go to a people he despised and to speak to them the word of the Lord, and Jonah would have none of it. And again, we found that we are Jonah. That God has given us a a challenge to go into a culture that that might be very far from God and and to speak his word into it. And and many of us, like like Jonah, have have run. We've hidden ourselves in the bottom of a boat, and we have... I said, uh, I am, uh, I'm going to go as far away as I can. Well, last week, we saw that your sin will find you out, right? That if God speaks and, and you don't respond to it, uh, well, how did, how did uh, Jonah put it? He, God hurled a storm right at him. God will not let us escape. Escape what? Escape his judgment and his punishment? Did you just hear? Lamentations 3? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, even in the midst of the storm. His mercy, His mercies are new every morning, even in the midst of the storm. There's mercy going on, beloved. Park that in the back of your mind for the weeks ahead. The storms of God are oftentimes the severe mercies of God calling us back to himself. Well, today we pick up the story and, and, and we learn that the, the sailors who we saw were crying out to their gods when Jonah would do nothing with his God. The sailors were crying out to God, but the, nothing they did, they threw their cargo, their paychecks overboard, and nothing they did seemed to make a difference. And, and so they, they did a, what was traditional for them. They drew lots to find out who sinned. It drives us a little crazy. It sounds like a Ouija board or something, right? Did I just date myself again? Okay, um, it sounds like, ooh, God doesn't do that, does he? God did. Why? Because God is, is pursuing Jonah. God is pursuing him. And Jonah has now been called out by non-believers, Right? He's been called out, and, and, and they say, we've got to discover whose fault this is. So they drew lots, and the lot fell to Jonah, and, and they interrogated him. They asked him questions, and we're going to pick up the story there. I want to suggest to you that the questions are very powerful questions for Jonah, but they're also very powerful questions for God, They are gospel questions, and they are very powerful questions for you and me as well. Open our hearts, would you, God, to your word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, let's look at that together. Keep your finger, if you would, in 
in uh, Jonah chapter 1, uh, and, and let's say, what are these questions? As, as they, as God, they, they drew lots, God called out Jonah, and, and, and they said to him, they spoke to him, they asked him very particular questions. What was the first question? Who, who are you? Who are you, Jonah? It's a question of identity, right? It's a question of identity, and it's a question with a purpose. But who are you? No, if I were to ask you who you are, what would you say? By the way, I've noticed, and we've talked about it before, that men and women, I'm going to speak in rash generalizations, um, my, my email is watsonkristen at gmail.com, okay? If you have any complaints, okay? No, not really. But I've noticed that in general, forgive me, but in general, men and women tend to answer that question differently. If you ask a man, who is he? Oftentimes, he will describe what he does. He will describe his wife, Mike. What, who are you, Mike? Say, I'm, I'm a dispatcher for a, for a concrete company, right? Um, you, you describe what you do, right? If, if you ask a woman that, oftentimes, in general, the woman will start not with what she does, but who she's related to. If I asked you who you are, Lisa, who would you say you are? Yeah, you, you, in there somewhere, not necessarily first, would be I'm a, I'm a wife, but, but in there would be a mother, wouldn't it? Yeah, in there would be who am I related to? And so when you see these questions that they're asking Jonah, the larger question is who are you? They say, what is your profession, Jonah, right? What do you do? Where... Where do you come from? What is your place? Right? What is your place? And who are your people? Who are your people? Why are they asking these questions? Well, you've heard the expression, um, you are what you eat, right? Or you are who you hang with, right? I want to suggest to you that you are who or what you worship. I want to suggest to you that you are who or what you worship. Wait, you say, um, I live in modern America, right? I don't worship anyone or anything. So this is irrelevant to me. This is like another one of those fairy tales, right? Once upon a time, there was a guy and he got pitched off a ship, right? So let me put it a different way. Let me put it a different way. You are what you give your allegiance to, right? Is anybody, is anybody proud to be American? Right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody, it's going to sound weird, but just forgive me. Is anybody proud to be a Christian? Right? Yeah. 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 And the, and the, the weird part is proud. That just sounds odd, doesn't it? But, but we understand. Yeah. Yeah. Right? There's so many different things that, that we have given our allegiance to that are a part of our identity. We are what we give our allegiance to. We are what we put our trust in as well. Now, again, there are not multiple personal, conscious, supernatural beings attached to every profession. By the way, I just Googled it because I was remembering that the, the Hindus worship a lot, of, a lot of gods. And so I just Googled it and, of course, only truth on the internet, right? But 
But just what came up when I went to that trusted source of information um, was that there are over 33 million gods in Hinduism. Hinduism. 33. Why? Because they put, they see everything as a god, right? Now, it's easy to say that those, they must be nuts, right? Forgive me if there are any Hindus in the, in the crowd here. But from, from my perspective, how in the world would you do that, right? Um, you, let, me, let me lean into this a little bit. You may be um, relieved to hear that there is no god Mercury, right? No Roman god Mercury, a god of commerce, to whom we should burn animal sacrifices. I'm relieved. Are you relieved? Yeah, right? Right? But financial security, right, can become a god. Amen? Let me say that again. Financial security, that's what they were worshipping when they worshipped Mercury, right? Not a Hindu god, but a Roman god. There's no Venus, right? Um, But untold... Numbers of men and women have been obsessed with body image or enslaved to pornography or, or enslaved to sexual immorality. Why? Because we worship beauty. We worship this idealized form of beauty. So sailors weren't wrong, right? In asking Jonah uh, who he was, they were really asking whose he was, whose he was. The way that they understood the God who was hurling this storm at him was to ask him his identity. You should smell a rat. You should see something coming right here, right? Let me say that again. The the way that they determined who was hurling the storm, who was the God that Jonah worshipped, was by the things that he described in his identity, Tim Keller puts it this way. Everybody gets his or her identity from something. Everyone longs for significance. When I was uh, in middle school and high school, I got my identity from, this could sound weird, but from trumpet playing. I, I was terrible at everything, but I was pretty good at trumpet. And, and so the more people that reinforced that said, wow, and I moved up the chairs in the middle school band. By the way, oh, I better shut up. Never mind. Middle school band is an adventure, right? <laughs> and I remember my first middle school band concert. It was exciting. Um, but as I moved up the chairs in middle school band, I started to say, wow, wow. And, and, the, and I ended up being the first chair. And we got nicknames. Oh, this is going to scare me. Um, I, w- I would just say that, that Hot Lips Miskel sa- sat next to me. That was not me. I just want to make that clear. Hot Lips <laughs> Miskel. I'm sorry. I should not have gone down this path. All right. <laughs> it, this was California. And so in middle school, I was Big Wave Dave. <laughs> Big Wave Dave. And, and I got this whole identity, and that identity carried me into, into high school. And, and, and I became a band freak, and, and I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm, are there any band freaks out there? All right, all right. Hey, we're small, but we're loud, right? <laughs> and so um, that became 
this identity. And by the way, later I understood that as a temporary identity. The great tragedy, right, would be if we um, kept uh, the temporary identities that we received as children or youth and never stepped into our true identity. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? I wanted to be a, a, a fighter pilot when I was a, a child. Some of you wanted to be Superman or Superwoman, right? It'd be a tragedy if you went to work tomorrow wearing a cape, right? It might be a short ride, too, uh, tomorrow. <laughs> um, but it would be a tragedy if we never left those, those temporary identities. But the temporary identities open our hearts to our true identity. Everyone gets their identity from something. Everyone longs for significance, for someone to say, wow. Wow, that is really cool. You are really cool. And we get that identity from, from different roles and different things that we do. Here's the trouble. When you say, I am significant because of this, my current, one of my current identities is I love to play racquetball. I'm actually pretty good at it. And, and, um, and so if I say, uh, I'm significant because I can play racquetball, well, what happens is, did five months ago when all of a sudden I'm injured, right? Yeah, it's easy to be good at racquetball when there's only three racquetball players left in the world. But, um, but that's okay. Don't, don't burst my bubble here, okay? But what happens? Four. All right, good. Um, what happens when, when you get injured, right? What happens when you can no longer find your identity in that thing? Then you have no identity, right? What happens, moms, when your kids... Uh-oh, I just wrecked a bunch of lives here. When your kids grow up and move out of the house and marry off, right? Um, if that is your only identity, right, then, then your purpose and meaning has gone away. Do you see? Do you follow me? What happens when your identity is in what you do, your profession, and then you retire, right? Or are injured or go, you know, or can no longer do that. Then all of a sudden you don't know who you are. Why is it that... that uh, many men die when they retire. They die within months of their retirement because that was who they are. And, and when they retired, they died, right? And it just took a little while for their bodies to fall over. Um, I don't know why I'm picking on men because the same vulnerability would be there for you hardworking women as well. But, but it just seems so apparent that we find our identities in the wrong things. So when you say... I'm significant because of this, or watch this, I'm acceptable because of them, right? They like me. They like me. I'm a part of their gang, right? Uh, they like me. When you put your, your significance in your acceptance by someone else, whatever this is or whoever they are become virtual gods to us. I mean, it's easy to cast stones at Hinduism or the Roman false gods, but we are them. We are they. We find our significance in this or them, right? Why is this? We won't explore it in depth today, but I, I think it's because of the way God created you. What, what am I doing? Am I trying to blame God for our idolatry? No, I'm just, I'm just trying to say in Genesis 1.26, it said we, we are made in the image of God. Men and women are made in the image 
of God, right? And so we were meant to be in relationship with God. And when we're not in relationship with the true God, we go find a God to be in relationship with. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? To be created in God's image means to be with Him, to be dependent on Him. And we will search and long, right, for for some God to worship. If we don't live for the one true God, we will make someone or something else God. And the sailors knew that. The sailors knew that. Identity is always rooted in the things we look toward to save us. The things to which we give ultimate allegiance. And this should be a shot across many of our bows, right? Because we give our allegiance to a lot of things that ultimately are unworthy of that. So when the sailor said, who are you? They're really asking, that was a lineup earlier if you missed the blank, whose are you? Whose are you? To know who you are is to know what you have given yourself to. What controls you and what you fundamentally trust. So how did Jonah do, by the way, on this little inquisition, right? How did he answer? Note that he did not answer the questions in the order that were given. He didn't answer the first question, what is your profession, at all. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why he didn't answer that question, right? If he were to say, I am a prophet of God, they would say, what are you doing in the bottom of the boat, right? What are you doing not calling out to your God? So he didn't mention anything about that at all. He didn't answer that question. What he did instead was reveal a little bit of his true identity. Reveal a little bit of his true identity. The reality is that we all have multiple, and I'm going to stick in a word here, layered identities. I'm going to pick on you for a second. You are a worship leader. You are a wife. I <laughs> moved far away from that. You are a daughter and your dad just moved away from you, right? You are a mom. You have, those are all part of your identities, right? And they are all, they all factor in on a given day, Right. Um, But what happens is subtly they begin to stratify. Wow, I didn't need a big, long word like that. They begin to layer in in a way that's comfortable for us. So so we start to lean into and put first the most comfortable identity. Right. And and all of a sudden we find out that um, that while we have uh, an identity, maybe as a follower of God, that that our identities have gotten out of order, right? I asked you earlier, um, uh, how many of you identify as an American? And I hope you don't misunderstand me. I am so grateful to God to be an American. I'm so grateful to God to be um, delivered from my brokenness, to be a follower of Jesus. That's a fundamental part of my identity. And sometimes those two identities kind of get messed up. Um, uh, how do I keep those different identities in the right place? I am a pastor, my profession. I am a husband and a father, my people, right? I am an American, my nationality, and I am a Christian, my faith. These layers can be misprioritized. These layers can be misprioritized. 
How do we know? I want to suggest to you, this is not rocket science again, but our words and especially our actions reveal our priorities. Our words and especially our actions reveal our priorities. I want to be really careful here because I'm, I'm speaking somewhat without knowledge. I was not there. And to be honest with you, I don't completely understand Jonah's response. But it appears that Jonah separated his faith and his nationality, or here's where I'm not sure, possibly his race. Was being a Hebrew a nationalistic thing for him? Or was it a race thing for him? Right? But he separated. He didn't just say, I fear the Lord. He said, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. I know I'm making federal case out of this, but, but, but he separated those identities and, and, and it's possible that the way he revealed them is that he put his nationality or his race before his relationship with God. That would explain a lot of things, wouldn't it? Like, I'm, I'm speculating here, but that would explain why he did not want to go to Assyria to Nineveh, right? You all have that nationality, that place that you would not go. Anyone want to go to Mosul with me, right? Iraq, right? Um, uh, you have that place that you will not go. And, and if, in fact, he subtly, his race or his nationality got prioritized before, he would be very happy when he was home. He'd be very happy, remember we learned a couple of weeks ago, as he was the prophet to a kingdom that was disobeying God. He was God's spokesperson when Amos and everyone else is condemning the hearts and and the actions of of Israel. I want to say northern Israel because they had split at that point. When everyone else was speaking against it, Jonah was saying nothing. Jonah was saying nothing. So so he, like you and me, had a multi-layered identity Right? And it's very possible that they got out of bounds. And it took non-believers and lots, casting lots, to call them out. To call them out. Have you ever been called out by a non-believer? I shared with you a spectacular example of that when I was playing racquetball one time. I lost it. I lost it. And non-believing... Racquetball player said, um, and you call yourself a Christian? No, oh, oh, excuse me, do you call yourself a pastor? And so, in humility, I said to him, get out of my face, right? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, it's really easy to get our identities confused. To get them confused and to get them out of order. So how... How do we do this? How do we reprioritize? Let's look again at Jonah. He said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea. Remember what's going on in the sea right now. I fear the Lord who made this sea that is in chaos right now. And, and when the sailors heard who his God was. Remember, Jonah said, I fear the Lord. I think, as we read it in the ESV, it said the sailors now were exceedingly fearful. It actually literally says they were fearful, fearful. 
Remember in Hebrew, whenever you, whenever you say something twice, that it intensifies, right? We talked about that as children. When, when mom said, Dave, come home. David, Michael, right? And if it got to the third one, I was dead meat, right? David, Michael, Mills, you get home right now, right? Don't make me stop this car, right? We, we've all done it. Um, it intensifies. So if Jonah, um, I am uh, a Israelite, and I fear the Lord, maker of the sea and the dry land, the sailors are going, you worship the God who caused this. And they were fearful, fearful. They were exceedingly afraid, right? And, and, and cried out in fear, right? Jonah said he feared God. But who really did? Right? I shared with you before uh, the example of in, in the community where we go to every two years in, in Oregon, the community was praying against a bar that was a couple, uh, a couple doors away from a residential, residential neighborhood and a couple doors away from a church. And so the church began to pray that the bar would close. And guess what? There was a fire at the bar. And um, the bar sued the church for publicly praying that the bar would close. And when they got to the, the court, the representatives of the church says, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. And, and, and the judge looked at the bar owners and he looked at the church and he said, well, this is weird. We apparently have um, a bar owner who believes in God and a church that doesn't. Right? Um, wow. Wow. Uh, we have to be so careful. We have to be so careful about who we are and what we say we believe and what we really believe. Jonah feared God. But the unbelieving sailors feared feared God. Right? So let's stop for a second. Press pause. Say, what is the fear of the Lord? Right? What is the fear of the Lord? Is it? It's mentioned 300 times in Scripture. 300 times. Think it's any important? Think it's important? Remember that, that uh, uh, don't be afraid is mentioned 365 times in Scripture. Think that's important? Absolutely. But, but the fear of the Lord is mentioned 300 times in Scripture. Is it, is it abject terror like the sailors were experiencing in the storm? Many of us, when we think of it, we don't think of abject terror. We think of holy fear or, or reverence, right? Is it, is it, how does she put it, R-E-S-P-E-C-T? Is it, is it respect? What is the fear of the Lord? Many of your minds, when I said that, went to a scripture. Many of your minds went to Proverbs 1-7. And you thought the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, right? And, and, and way back when, that seeped into our understanding. No, remember, we're, we're looking for the experience of God. We're looking not for the wisdom that is given to us, not even for understanding of that wisdom. We're looking for a relationship with God. And, and the beginning of that, the beginning of that, the Scripture says, Proverbs 1-7 says, is, is the fear of the Lord. So, so we know that this is important. But do you remember our memory verse this morning? Is it up there? Yeah. But the Lord, say it again with me, would you? 
But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. You may not know that Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. Um, If I were to say to you, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet. (laughs) You guys are too kind. Why did you know that? Because it rhymes, right? Hebrew poetry doesn't do that. Hebrew poetry, one of the biggest tools, it has a bunch of of tools at its disposal, but one of the biggest tools is, is repetition. It will say the same thing oftentimes in a different way. You're on to me, aren't you? Right? Isn't this beautiful? Are you there yet? What, according to Psalm 147, that amazing psalm of praise, what, according to Psalm 147, is the fear of the Lord? It's not abject terror. It's hoping in the steadfast love of the Lord, which never ceases, even in the midst of the storm, which is new every morning. We learn from Jeremiah in Lamentations, right? The fear of the Lord is, is hope. Now, hope, which is seen... Quoting Paul now is not hope at all, right? So it means we haven't yet got what we're hoping for, right? And those of you who are standing in front of that sea that has not yet parted, those of you who have cried out for deliverance and not yet been delivered, those of you who ask in desperation for someone that you really love, a physical, emotional, or spiritual healing, and have not yet received it, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, my sister. Fear the Lord, my brother. Hope in His steadfast love. God will not fail you. His love, thank you so much, worship team, His love never fails, right? It just doesn't always come on our time schedule. And sometimes God takes us right up against the waves. Sometimes He calls us out of the boat into the waves before we see the answer to our prayers. Before we see the answer to our prayers. So the first question that he asks is, who are you? I'll pick up steam, I promise. The second one is, what have you done? Once they realize that his God is is calling him out, they ask him, what have you done? Jonah said that, that he feared the Lord, but his actions... Indicated otherwise. His actions to the, to the non-believers, to the Lord, His actions indicated otherwise. The blast zone of our sin affects everyone around us. It affects our families. It affects our marriages. It affects generations to the third and fourth generations, right? The blast zone of our um, sin, our stubbornness, affects those around us. What have you done? Own it. Own it, Jonah. The third question is amazing. Is amazing. For people that were just victims of someone else's brokenness, the third question is, what must we do? You're apparently not going to do anything. That was a Daveism right there. But what must we do? And, and Jonah knew that the penalty for his sin was death. It's amazing that Jonah would rather die than obey God. Oh my gosh. 
He would rather be thrown into the storm, certain death. Don't have any misunderstanding. They did not know the story of Jonah as it was happening, right? They did not know that there was a mercy in the water. They did not know those things. It looked like certain death. He says, pitch me overboard. And, and, and so what did they do? They rode like banshees. And these non-believers were more compassionate than Jonah. These non-believers rode like banshees to try, and it's probably a bad illustration, to try and make it to shore so that they wouldn't have to throw them overboard. But the storm only intensified. It was really clear that God was not going to let Jonah off this hook, right? And, and so at, they rode for shore, but eventually they just had to say, oh God, please don't hold us responsible for this. You, you have put us in this situation, God. Please don't hold his life against us. And they chucked him overboard. And it's so reminiscent, isn't it, of Peter and, and Jesus saying, be still. Immediately the storm was stilled. The storm was stilled. Jonah knew the penalty was death. And when they did what righteousness required, death for sin, oh, praise God for the gospel, right? Death for sin, the sailors feared the Lord. It uses that word exceedingly feared again. Feared, feared the Lord. They made sacrifices to the Lord. They made vows to the Lord. The sailors became followers of Yahweh. The sailors became believers. Jonah, who is running, running from God so that he wouldn't have to preach a message that might convert non-believers, converts a whole shipload of non-believers, right? They see God's hand in this. There was a ship that was in travail. It was a ship of humanity. And because of its sin, its destiny was to be destroyed, to break up and to uh, be crushed by the storms of life around it. But someone stepped overboard. Someone stepped into the gale. Someone gave his own life so that we on the ship would not have to. And that someone was Jesus Christ. He willingly offered himself in place of us. And later on, he validated this story by saying, no sign is going to be given to you but the sign of Jonah. Three days in the belly of a whale, the Son of Man will be three days in the grave. Jesus Christ did what you could not do. He offered himself in your place. When you trust him, when you're able to say, I believe that you did that for me, Jesus. When you, when you say, I believe that God validated what you did by raising you from the dead, Jesus, then you are delivered from the brokenness and pain and sin that has entangled you. What must we do? I want to ask you three gospel questions, right? And I want to ask them first of God. What? Yeah, this has just devastated me yesterday. I can ask these three same questions of God. And I think it's important for us to some how, some way, some time come to that place where we say, who are you, God? Who are you? Who is this that, that speaks and the storms 
are, are stilled? Who is it that speaks and the waters part? Who are you, God? I want to know who you are. And what have you done, God? What have you done? And then as you live into that, eventually you discover that He created you, He formed you, He sustains your every breath. He died for you. He rose from the grave for you. And He is sitting at the right hand of God praying for you right this moment. Right? What have you done, God? It's astounding what God has done for you. And then maybe just maybe we come to that third question of God. What can I do then, God? What can I do in response? Put that slightly different. Ask these questions of yourself. Who am I? What are the layers of my identity? Are they in the right order? You know, um, lots of times we live a half a bubble off. Do you know that expression from a level? It's not quite, not quite the way it needs to be. It might not be a major change, but, but how are your priorities? Think about your identities. Are they in the right order? Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and his righteousness and all the other identities, subbing in some words here, all these other things will be added to you. I'll take care of the rest. Seek first the kingdom of God. But at some point, we've got to own ourselves too. What have I done or not done? That's what Jonah would not do until he was called out by non-believers and they said, yep, this is me. This is my fault. He didn't tell them what. All he told them was that he was running from the presence of the Lord. Stop running. You cannot outrun God. You cannot outrun God. What have you done or not done? What, what does God want of, of me, right? What does God want of me? Is he asking me to step out of the boat? Is he asking me to go speak love and mercy to people who I don't believe deserve it? Is, is he loving? Is he asking me to step outside my comfort zone and, and bravely step into his purpose for my life, right? Here's the great news. The great news. God is the one who gives us courage. God is the one who enables us to step out on the water. God is the one who, who delivers us when we're chucked overboard. God is the one who makes us brave. He is the one who gives us strength in the time of the storm of God. I know that there's storms raging in the hearts and minds of people, even here in the room right now. God, like Jonah, we don't want necessarily to do what you're asking of us. But God, where can we turn? Who else has words of life? God, I pray for those who are overwhelmed right now that you would speak into our lives, that you would say, peace, be still. And the storm would cease. And then, God, I pray that you would allow us to hope again it's easier, God, to not hope because then we're not disappointed. God, grant us the courage to hope in your unfailing love. Your unfailing love. And then, God, grant us the strength and courage to step out in Jesus' name. Amen.